Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Do you have money sitting in the stock market and you're worried about it? Or worse, you have money sitting at the bank, not keeping up with inflation? My name is Charles Carrillo, founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners. And since 2006, I've been investing my money and my family's money into income-producing properties. These are real assets, real properties with real addresses that produce real cash flow. At Harborside Partners, we provide passive investors who love real estate with a turnkey investing solution. If you want to put your money to work in real estate but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income-producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Paul Lazell. He has bought and sold hundreds of properties in 44 states during his real estate investing career that began in 2001 with flipping properties. Since 2009, Paul has been virtually wholesaling properties throughout the United States while being focused exclusively on online auctions, bank REOs, buying off the MLS, and from wholesalers nationwide. Uh, so thank you so much for being on the show today, Paul. Thank you, Charles. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's great to uh, have someone on that is out there in the trenches finding deals and then working with other investors doing the same. But um, before we get into too much about what you're working on now, can you give us a little background on yourself, both personally and professionally, prior to getting involved in real estate investing back in 2001? Absolutely. So I graduated from Drexel University in 1998 with a degree in finance and minor in economics. So I went into banking. I started as a um, commercial loan underwriter, and I did that for about a year with them. And then I became a business development officer, or BDO as it's known, uh, for another year and a half or so with them. And then I moved on to Citizens Bank. They offered me a you know, great package, great deal. And I was a BDO for them for a couple of years. In the meantime, as I was even with a community bank, I started doing fix and flips in the end of 2001. Um, so that's that's my background as far as education and what I got there. But let's actually take one step further back and why it helped me to actually get into real estate. So from junior high all the way through college, I worked with my uncle, who's a general contractor. So I learned every aspect of fixing up a home, plumbing, electrical. Um, we did framing. We did additions. We did roofing, siding, windows, doors, foundations, sidewalks, everything you can imagine, pavers and all. So that was one of the greatest skills I've ever picked up in my life. And, and there's not enough people that get into the trades, right? But the trades have helped because one, I learned what kind of how labor intensive they were and what kind of cost the materials were at that point anyway. So that really helped me flow naturally into real estate. And my uncle was doing buy and hold investing. He was buying duplexes, quadruplexes, triplexes, and holding those properties. So it got me interested in real estate. And then you know, as I was in the banking industry there, it, you know, I, I decided I like the fix and flip side of it because I wanted that quick cash. You know, I was young in my early 20s there. So I started in that, did a little bit of dabbled with wholesaling here or there. And then um, 
really uh, it changed in 2008, nine, when the whole financial crisis happened. So I'd made a total pivot in my business from being about a 90% fix and flip guy and 10% wholesaling to a 90% wholesaling and a 10% fix and flip guy. And the reason was the market kind of forced it. I was able to pick up these HUD properties and these REOs so cheap, ones that were listed. And, and, and Charles, I don't know when you got started in real estate investing, but th the market was so crazy back then that if properties were listed at 220, 230, I was picking them up for 90,000 and then selling them to other investors for 150, 155,000. So we were making huge spreads on bank REOs, which isn't the norm, but that was kind of, you know, inventory had been built up so crazy. So that was kind of my foray into getting into the whole wholesaling aspect of it. Yeah, no, I've been investing myself since 2006. And then I kind of rode my dad's coattail since 1984 uh, when I was born, but that's when he started investing in the real estate uh, multifamily. So my whole childhood was meeting with contractors and knowing it. And it's funny, um, it's great also that you were getting involved with the trades because my dad had a partner that was a construction, uh, owned a construction company. I remember him telling me when I was a kid, he was like, it's all the money's made on the estimating. Yes. And understanding it, nothing's yeah. made behind the hammer. It's made in front of the hammer and it's made on the estimating and like understanding that. And then it's also something today is when I have it, like for, I self-manage from 06 to 2012, my own properties and dealing with contractors, dealing with handymen, going into, um, you know, getting on roofs and seeing everything. And now not something I do, not something that was great, but the education that that provides you is that when someone's asked, telling you about something and you see something, you're like, this is like, this is, you know, you know, you can just, you, you you understand exactly how to estimate better and you become a better real estate investor, especially with what you're doing with the virtual wholesaling and um, everything there, because you really have to, from the little information you have, you have to figure out exactly what this repair cost is. And I mean, you're in and out, even if you're wholesaling and you're walking through properties, you have to know um, if you're the flip, even if you're just buying from the wholesaling or the flipper, you have to know exactly within a few minutes, like what it's going to cost. And knowing that, oh, a new roof is $10,000. Well, there's a lot of plywood that has to be replaced probably under that. So now it's like 13, you know what I mean? And you work these numbers out so you don't get yourself into too much of a hole when you start getting it on. So that's a that's a great background that you had teamed with the uh, with your banking. I mean, you got pretty much both sides of it when you're starting out. Yeah, that was huge. That was really, really helpful for me. It really did help propel me. In, and it gave me an advantage that maybe some people don't have starting, starting out investing, but it's something that you know, I can... For our students that and, and how I teach them, I kind of explain that whole background there, how I came from that and how they need to really focus on that because most people lose money on these flips because they underestimate the rehab, like you said, right? And you always want to over over not over leverage, over account for the so if it's if they have a fifty thousand dollar um cost, count for sixty-five just to be safe, because you're gonna have all kinds of add-ons and goofy things that they didn't see. Contractors are famous for coming up with other stuff. So, yeah. we really talk about on the show. Can you briefly explain what wholesaling is and then yeah. uh, further what uh, virtual wholesaling is? Totally. So, there's two different types of wholesaling. There's your traditional um, wholesaling, where most people know in the business where it's an assignment of contract. So, you meet with a seller, home seller, maybe you're doing direct mail advertising to them. And uh, you come up with a price we're picking up for 50,000. You have maybe an end buyer who's coming in at say 70,000 and you are assigning that contract to your end buyer for 70,000. 
And you can do it multiple different ways. You can take that 20K on the HUD. You can take that 20K off the HUD. Or if you don't think your buyers can be comfortable with that spread, you do what's called a back-to-back closing um, where you buy it and resell it that exact same day. Simultaneous close in some states is called as well. So we have to do this when we're buying bank REOs because the banks will not allow you to assign the contract. On occasions, they will allow you to change entities. Like let's say you have it in your in your flip entity, but you want to put it in your buy and hold entity. As long as you're on that, they generally won't have an issue with you on that. Um, but you really generally need to come up with your own capital and cash to do the back-to-back closing with the bank REOs. It's a whole different animal. Yeah. Again, costs no money for marketing costs, so you save on that end, but you do have to have, it is capital intensive, so you do have to have money, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've never had the luxury of dealing with a bank with REO that they allow me to change entities. I've always had to really like take it in my own name and then do the quick claim later. So they do not- Easiest way to do it. Yeah, yeah. And then also when you're providing bank statements, you can provide them in your personal name if you want, yes. you know, proof of funds. They freak out and you're like, even if you show them secretary of state, I'm the only person owning this LLC. They do not like it. Yes. <laughs> they will not do it. Yeah. You're going to get a discount. But the thing though, is that, I mean, that's just what it is. You know what I mean? So, totally. Absolutely. Um, so let's talk about, we went through a few different things about how you were finding one in the, in the, uh, in the intro about how you really look for finding these motivated home sellers. How have you found and how have you kind of worked? You said REO, but how else are you been finding distressed homes and motivated home sellers? most efficiently? So for us, we've done, we've started uh, television advertising in Southwest Florida here about nine months, 10 months ago now. I think we started in August, right before the hurricane, right before Hurricane Ian hit. Timing ended up being perfect for that because, you know, we didn't see it. We didn't expect it, but we didn't expect to get damaged homes like we had down in this, this area here. But we ended up picking up some good distressed homes because of that. And that's, so it's you're paying a monthly fee um, for the television advertising, and it's the same concept of whether you're doing direct mail, whatever. You still need that acquisition manager, um, right. whether it's yourself or whether it's somebody you hire. We do have somebody, and then a disposition manager too, which I I kind of take the the reins in on a disposition side. That's been kind of especially mine over the years. Um, so you do need to have those two different things, but. Direct mail is your traditional one. People spend anywhere from three to 20 grand per month doing direct mail advertising. Some people do pay-per-click advertising. And some people, um, we also buy from wholesalers too, by the way. So people that get their own deals, if it's a good, good deal, I'm still going to buy it regardless because I'm going to take it down and either fix it up and keep it as rental or flip it, depending on what market it's going to be in there. Um, but no, that's been a great source for us over, over the time. And then we try to layer it. So if we find particular areas work really well, let's say Port Charlotte, Florida, or Cape Coral or Fort Myers, now we'll layer it by doing direct mail to certain areas to try to, you know, ex- accelerate, you know, buyer leads coming in. Interesting. So you're working more on the disposition side, which is working really with the ultimate property buyers. Um, how have you found it? Obviously, you just mentioned that you you do your farming in like one area and you layer down. So you probably are working with a lot of the same buyers. But how yes. are you finding the ultimate property buyers after you're doing the, the assignment? So it's shifted over the years, right? So from 2009, when I first started doing this all over the country, Craigslist was the main uh, resource. And you might've heard something, some of the listeners might've heard something called Backpage, which I think still exists, but it's it was not, it's not a great source anymore as far as I know. And uh, eBay occasionally, where we would list properties on eBay, but that doesn't really work anymore. 
But Facebook Marketplace has really been a great resource lately. And there's so many different investing groups inside of Facebook that you can participate in, different wholesaling groups that you can really find a lot of buyers in, or you could post your deals in there and find buyers. That's been my best resource for finding cash buyers. Mm -hmm. When you post a deal, and again, it's got to be reasonable. And when I'm on these things, I see these um, people listing these properties, they aren't deals. These are MLS style deals, yeah. right? You're, you're, you're either, you didn't negotiate it right or your margins you're looking for are too large. So when you put something there that's priced right, you will get hounded by buyers and the kind of buyers you want, generally cash buyers, you'll occasionally get some wholesalers too, because they want to wholesale your wholesale deal. Um, but that has been a great resource for us. Craigslist is still a good resource. It still works in a lot of different markets, but Facebook marketplace continues to eat that up over time. Yeah, I've definitely bought properties to flip off of Craigslist many years back. So you can definitely find deals or back then we did find deals on doing it. So it's interesting where you'd find them or where people are putting them up. And uh, if you kind of have the idea of what the market is and what you're actually looking for, what's in your buy box, I mean, that's where you can, you know, really, really work with these deals. Um, so just giving a little bit, I know you gave a brief overview um, earlier about wholesaling, but so you're finding these, you're finding the sellers. They're distressed for one way or another. Um, mm -hmm. You're now going to put that property under contract. So can you give us a little bit more? You put the property under contract. It's at a discount for whatever you feel uh, for your profit and then whatever repair costs are going to be because you're going to sell it mm -hmm. most likely to a flipper, not to an actual homeowner. Um, what is the process from putting the property under a contract to actually, and then say you have, you found the buyer. What's that process now to close over those, like I guess it'd be one to three weeks in most yeah. cases. Um, can you give us a little overview of what that process is? Absolutely. We'll do a high level one. So you got yeah. your A to B side where you're doing your acquisition, your purchase. And then there's the B to C side where you are reselling it to, to your end buyer or you have your end buyer they're bringing in. So the process goes more or less, you, you, you field a phone call from the uh, home seller you try to set up an appointment to go take a look at if first you kind of, you got to find out, is this a deal, right? Cause you want to make sure you're going out to a lead that's worthwhile. If they owe 280,000 and the property is worth 280,000, that's probably not much you're going to do with it unless you're going to keep it, keep it subject to, and they've got a great mortgage rate on it, which we would do. Um, you can actually wholesale those subject to deals too, believe it or not. But let's say it's somebody who owes a hundred thousand and it's worth 280 and you come to a deal with them and you're picking it up for uh, 200, right? So they're going to get their spread 100K. They're going to, they're happy. They want to be done with it. They don't want to deal with a realtor. And then you're going to bring your buyer in. And if it's worth 280 as is, you're probably going to be able to sell it to them for 240, 250. And that could be your fee. That's a great wholesale fee, by the way, if you can get a, a nice little uh, deep spread like that. So then you find your end buyer. Um, when you advertise this, right? You advertise this on whether it's Craigslist or uh, you can advertise on Zillow too, by the way. Zillow is a great resource. You bring in so many, there's way more views on, on Zillow than there are on MLS properties because anybody can go on there and look, whereas opposed to MLS, right? You have agent's eyes on it more or less. So you, you put on Facebook Marketplace, you field calls, take that in, find out their cash buyer. You want to make sure you verify that one, they have funds, they've done deals before. You want to do a little background check to make sure you're not just bringing in some other wholesaler because so many wholesalers will come in and you know act like they're end buyers when they're really not because they want to wholesale your wholesale deal. Right. So you bring that end buyer in and let's say you're selling to them for 240. Now you got that spread 
um, that 240 and um, your your end buyer is getting it um, getting or your your um, seller is getting 200,000 for that so that your seller may not like to see you make a 40k on it say so you may want to do a, what's called a back-to-back -back close and you could use transactional funding on that where you'll pay say 1500 2500 dollars to a lender to, to borrow that those funds for the day and you'll you'll close on for 200 sell for 240 you'll have closing costs so your net maybe 32, 33, $34,000 with closing costs and everything. And that's your spread there. If you do it as a straight assignment and your, your seller's good with it, your buyer's good with those numbers, which I always try to do because it's cleaner and easier, then you just assign it, collect that fee. You can put it on the HUD, do it as a consulting fee. Boom, you're paid on the HUD and, and you're good to go. Oh, very good. Lots of lots of great information there. So when you're doing the back-to-back -back closing, so people, uh, it also is advertised or explained as being a double closing. Correct. You're closing on a one day, and uh, it might be a day, it might be the same day, it might be whatever it is. But the transactional funding, I think they charge usually, like you were saying, like a half percent or something, yeah. and uh, whatever it might be, and that is where they're going to fund it, and then they know that they're going to get their money back uh, no later than a month later. You know what I mean? It's Correct. not. They're not. You're not buying it from them. Um, so, and there's a lot of firms that do that as well. And of course, just like hard money lenders, once you've built a reputation and an you know, experienced track record with them, you probably can save on that. So, absolutely. But, um, uh, so, and then one other thing about this, uh, going through all these different um, routes to finding discounted properties is that people listening, they don't have to wholesale it. These are just great ways that Paul's explaining where you can find discounted properties. If you want to flip them, or if you want to flip them and then rent them, flip them and sell them, whatever it might be, um, there you can use this. But the key is we're finding the discounted properties up front. So when you're going through this, you are already have equity in the deal. And this is going to allow you the more equity. It's going to allow you when you refinance this to uh, take out more, uh, hopefully all of it, but usually the majority of your money out of, out of the deal. Yes. And I want to bring one more point here too. And we've, we've kind of focused on this because, you know, inventory has been tight over the past mm -hmm. few years here since COVID and everything. So we tried to maximize our deals as much as possible. So in that instance with that last EOR, I was telling you that um, we were picking it up for 200,000 and selling it to an investor at a discount for 240. If you know it's worth 280 as is, and you have agents that have confirmed it, it may pay for you to take that property down list on the MLS for $279.9 or even cheaper and then get a bidding war. And you know, you're going to get some uh, additional funding or additional funds out of it. It may pay, especially if you're a new investor right now, while the market is the way it is, you kind of want to, you always want to do this depending on what the market is telling you. And right now the market is telling you to do it this way to maximize your profits as much as possible. Now, if you have a ton of deals coming in, you don't need to worry about that. You have more deals than, um, that and you want you just want to go through deal flow and you want to just get in and out and not have holding costs, then you just sell it that way, right? And I know a lot of companies are wired and that's how they do it that way. But if you're newer to investing, it may pay for you to just list on the MLS, make some more money, and then be done with it. And then use that extra profit towards marketing, additional marketing costs, or towards another rental. Yeah, the MLS, um, people historically think that's only going to be going to a home buyer, right? That's going to live in it. But especially with the rise in STRs, short-term rentals, you have tons of people that are paying retail for properties, um, not getting any deals on them because they're hotter areas so that they can turn around and put them on one of the short-term rental sites. 
and uh, you know make a lot more money than you would typically be doing with a 12 month rental. So there's there's not just home buyers on the MLS, which is important. I mean, um, if you're buying, which is one one thing we're gonna get into here next, is like on the REO department part of it, you might be buying bank-owned properties off the MLS. So can yeah. you talk about buying properties from the REO department at banks and can you explain, you know, how you make the relationships, whether they're with agents um or with the banks directly? Obviously, that's your background, but I've when I purchased REO, it's been through the agent, through an agent, you know, listed MLS. Mm-hmm. But obviously, the seller is the bank. But I've also seen it. I get listings before years back, which would be like the bank would list properties that are defaulting that they're taking over to sell directly to an investor, a home buyer, whatever. So how how do you how do you work with that, Paul? Yeah, this is this is a great one, and this has evolved and changed over time. So when I first got into investing in 2001, HUD Home Store was a great resource for you to go on there and pick up HUD properties that were foreclosed on. Now they've over the years they've tried to get away with that. They list a lot of the HUD properties on Auction.com, HubZoo, Zoom, and these other online resources where we pick up a lot of those. Um, but these are properties that are make that maybe need more work than ones that you'll find on your traditional MLS, like you and I ha- have bought in Charles um, on off the MLS that are REOs where they're in better shape, you know, not in great shape, but better shape and an end buyer may be willing to uh, buy them. Um, so they, they've gotten, they've kind of gotten away from them though. You probably notice less regular traditional bank REOs listed on the MLS and more of them thrown on the online auctions because they, this new program was created about three or four years ago called HUD CWCOT. And I, I forget what that acronym stands for, but it was a HUD property, FHA or VA, and they foreclosed on the property and they just listed on the auctions and they're usually occupied at the time. So that's kind of been a shift over, over the years with that. So that has been, and a lot of those, by the way, Charles, are not listed on the MLS too. So there's no agent attached to them. They are uh, an REO, but there's no agent attached to them. And sometimes they'll have really high price points that are unreasonable. And over time they have been. And then sometimes they'll give you great discounts and you got to be on there ready to see them. Like we picked up some phenomenal discounts over the past, even the past six months or so through the HUD CWCOT program. So with this, obviously, if someone's in the house, that adds another level of complexity because really you're just buying like bad debt at this point, right? With yes. the house being the collateral um, for the loan. So tell us about how, have you done that before? Like, or you just wholesaled this? Uh, I mean, tell us about how you're dealing with it when someone's actually in the house. Yeah, whole different animal, right? A vacant is compared to an occupied property. We try to focus, especially with new investors, we try to get them into the vacant properties, yeah. not to the occupied. <laughs> occupied is higher level investors there who yeah. want to understand how you're, you're going to have to evict them from the property or file for ejectment, depending on what state, what the municipality requires there. But generally um, speaking, they do go at a 25% discount because they're occupied. And that 25% discount may work in some instances, and it may be just a complete dump where you're still overpaying at that discount. So that's where you got to be careful. You got to hopefully have some boots on the ground, some people that can go take a look at the property, maybe peek in a window and get an idea. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of dangerous to do, but you send your agent there, maybe they knock on the door, talk to the people and uh, can kind of see inside a little bit. If you could do that, that's the greatest way to do it. Then you know what you're into. Otherwise, it's a guessing game getting into some of these properties. 
And um, recently what they've done, the HUD CWCOT program, they, they have vacant properties, but they try not to let you get access to those vacant properties. And I always tell them like, that's a red flag. If, if you don't want me to get ac access yeah. to it, that must mean it needs way more work than what you're giving me here. Um, so we try to get people to, you know, peek in the windows of those vacant ones, mm -hmm. less issues there, right? No peeping Tom's going on there, but the agents that can, can take a look at those. And those have been some of the great deals that we've gotten more recently too, because there's such an abundance of those properties right now. And um, it's kind of an untapped market. So that's been a great resource, but it's changed over the years, you know, going from the HUD home store to now the online auctions and now the online auctions doing the HUD CWCOTs, as well as your traditionals from Wells Fargo, from Chase, from Aquin, on all these different mortgage companies out there that in Bank of America. Um, so they, they still have those and they still have the really nice ones that are ready to go on the MLS because they know they're going to get top dollar for those. So, I mean, obviously most people are going to be focusing, if they have boots on the ground, they're going to be focusing on like one market. You've done this in, I think it was 44 different states. Yeah. You've been actively investing. I mean, how does... I mean, obviously, I would imagine for new investors, you're telling them to start in one market. Yeah. Um, how are you running a team or have have the ability to use a team, let's just say, um, that is that is in all these different markets? So when something comes up, you can quickly find them, evaluate it and make an offer, buy it, whatever, it, yep. you know. So, yeah, that's and that's kind of evolved over time as well, too. But especially with the tools that we have now available to us online. Uh, to make investing a lot easier, right? Zillow, when it originally started out, wasn't as good at comping as it is now. I could really comp properties extremely well with Zillow in any different market and, and know what things are selling. and know what a three-bedroom, two-bath, 1,500 square foot ranch is selling for in a quarter of an acre because I can comp it all out in that particular area. The only thing I don't necessarily know is street to street. This could be a bad area. This could be a really great area. So that's when you get into the inner cities, it gets a little tougher. When you're out in the suburbs, it's not really like that. You, it's, a, it's much simpler to decipher. Um, but basically, so for me, for Boots on the Ground has been making great relationships with agents in different markets. Being from Pennsylvania, I have a bunch of them in PA, I have some in New Jersey. I have, I have some great ones in Texas, in uh, Casper, Wyoming, Gillette, Wyoming, in Tucson, Arizona, in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia area, and the Carolinas as well. So I've made so many relationships with these guys over the years. And I tell them, like, it doesn't have to be a bank REO. If you find a deal that looks like it could be a great deal, I'm still interested. So occasionally I get off-market deals that aren't bank-owned that I can get, and I hopefully can assign a contract. If not, it might be a good one I'd either keep as a buy and hold or a fix and flip in that particular market. But the boots on the ground has generally been REO agents for me. That's my first eye. Mm -hmm. And I, I look for agents who have 10 plus years experience minimum because one, they know that particular market very, very well. They understand it from an investor's perspective, being a bank mm -hmm. REO agent. And they understand what the as is condition is, what the after repair value is. And they have great resources. They have great contractors that they can refer me mm -hmm. And, and this is a piece of advice I'll give to anybody. I've, when I've gotten my own contractors in different markets, I've been burned at times. Knock wood when I say this, I've never been burned by a, a realtor referral contractor. And I think it's because they're not going to bite the hand that feeds them. These are the leads that they're getting yeah. from this agent. They're keeping them busy and they don't have to pay for marketing. So for them to screw over that agent, they're not getting anything anymore. Plus their pricing is good and they know what investor pricing is compared to retail pricing for doing a rehab. So 
that's been our, our boots on the ground. We'll occasionally um, send some people out there, take pictures. If we can't find a realtor in that particular market, you could do that off Craigslist or, or a few other resources there to be able to utilize that. BPOphotoflow.com is another one that's in a lot of different markets that you can utilize too. So there's a lot of different tools that you can do. And from even further to how to analyze and figure out if it's a deal, we use a VA, a virtual assistant um, in, in the Philippines. We actually have two of them. So when we get a list, it's usually an Excel spreadsheet list of properties that are coming up for auction. We'll have them go through and do the first level of due diligence to see, all right, is this a deal or, or is it not a deal? We, we trained them on that mm. and they let us know and we start bidding on those properties. Now I've since hired an acquisition manager who has taken me away from that and I only focus on certain markets. And I let them focus on the majority of them. Allows me more time to do other things, which is good. Yeah. Well, Paul, that's a lot of great information there. I love the idea of getting referrals. I've, I've gotten great referrals from agents, but one thing I'd just like to caveat to that is the agents that I got great referrals from, they were, like you said, they're investor agents, yeah. or if they were on the commercial multifamily side, they were dealing with the size property I was buying. So if I was buying a 40 unit property, they had sold those and they had management for that, not a 400 unit property and right. not a 40 unit property. So it's, you're if the REO person's working all day with between the banks and investors. So that's that's a great place because every conversation they have is going to be about the work that needs to be done. That's all it is. Anybody can pull up on Zillow and see what the after repair value is. It's how much work has to be done and how much it's going to cost. So that is a great tip for people to kind of build out their network and their team by utilizing their REO agent and making sure because a lot of agents might say they work with investors, but they really don't. Yes, very so, true. And you know, yeah. So just, you really have to, Hey, what have you sold before? Or what are you buying? And if you speak to them for 10, 15 minutes, you'll find out, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? What they've worked with when you have people dropping, um, have contractors, they've done work here. They've, you know, all this kind of stuff and you'll know, you know what I mean? That there are a seasoned person and, but many yes. people aren't, you know what I mean? So it's just, you really have to sort through, find other people if you can, um, find other people, uh, investors in your area, possibly that mm -hmm. see who they're buying properties from. You know what I mean? If it's a different area, cause you have agents that might have a much larger market that they work in versus where you might have flippers that just work in one town or one part mm -hmm. of town. So that's a great point. You know, you could, you could join a local RIA group or a meetup group and find some of those good resources for those. You know, that's kind of how I started out going to RIA. A local RIA and um, meeting a lot of different, I found private lenders, as a matter of fact, yeah. too, and people mm -hmm. do partnerships with on, on different things. So great resources there. And, and again, you, like you're saying, you, you can get faked out by some of these agents. So it's, what did Ronald Reagan say? Trust, but verify. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. that's one of the great terms, trust, but verify. So we, we've we actually were burned on a deal this past year by an agent giving bad information mm -hmm. on, in a particular HOA community they didn't know enough about. Uh. And my acquisition manager didn't do enough due diligence, get a second age, get somebody who really has a lot of listings or has had a lot of listings in that particular community, because you're going to get so much better information from that person than you'll get from the other. We're going to end up losing money on that particular deal, which really sucks. Great learning lesson for us, though. But I train them like you got to, it can't just be one agent unless that agent is totally immersed and really knows that HOA better than anybody else. But you still want to find a secondary person just to verify numbers. No. And sometimes, and depending on how rural the area is, we'll try to find three different agents and get three different perspectives. And then it kind of gives you a low, medium, and a high. And then you just kind of figure out from there, but always err on the side of caution to go with the low side. 
Yeah, and you can find who the brokers are that sold properties in these areas. You can just Zillow them, who sold them, find out the broker's content, and you keep on seeing the same broker over. You know what I mean? That's where that's a that's a sign. You know what I mean? But um, yeah, a lot of great information there. One last thing is I, you know, the REA is um, uh, any local RIAs. Um, I I was speaking to someone and they were telling me they're, they're a successful hard money lender and how they got started and how they were taught. They'd go to the RA, you know, and they would talk to people and they would talk to the person running the thing. Be like, who here has like done a lot of like closings and like flip properties, like not just the first time here. Cause you say you're a hard money lender and you'll have a line of people with, you know what I mean? That yeah. want to get loans. Um, and, uh, he was, he was just like, they would tell, they would point him out. And that's the people he started giving really good deals to on lending. And that built his whole network by going to one of those events and uh, dealing with people, speaking to people, building relationships and finding out who was actually the serious people there that, uh, you know, probably he wouldn't lose money on. That's so true. And when you go to these different areas, 90 plus percent of the people are just tire kickers. They're constantly yeah. looking. They suffer from analysis paralysis. They'll never do a deal, but they constantly go. It amazes me. And you have that segment of people that are very, very active, the smaller mm -hmm. groups. And they tend to go to these smaller meetup groups outside of the regular area is where you'll find a lot of those. But that is a great way to do it, to talk to the person who runs it and find out who the big players are because they know who the players are yeah. and they knew who the people who are just tire kickers and aren't really doing anything are. So yeah, for sure, for sure. Right direction. A lot of great information, Paul. Uh, Paul, as we wrap up here, um, you do a lot of coaching. You have a lot of coaching programs. You've uh, 20 plus years of doing this. What are common mistakes you see real estate investors make? So uh, the most common mistakes are not doing enough due diligence to find out to really comp the place, right? And that's where a lot of people lack confidence in doing comping. And it's really, they suffer from analysis paralysis because of it. They don't end up doing enough deals and they don't do enough deals because they don't trust their numbers. It's pretty black and white to me when I'm looking at comping a property. If I'm seeing this three bedroom, two bathroom, 1500 square foot property selling at 175, right? And I'm seeing this routinely within a six month period, six or 12 month period. I know this should be worth 175. So you got to trust that number, take your, you know, use that as your after repair value, subtract out the repairs, give yourself a little buffer. And maybe if you want to do a little wholesaling fee in there, that's your maximum allowable offer. So that's how you kind of figure that out. But people don't trust their numbers. They don't act. That's the biggest thing we, we see. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a mentor years back tell you just do fat deals. You know what I mean? So it's difficult pushing deals away that don't have that much on there, but he's like, just, you don't want to do any skinny deals. You do fat deals. And that's where if anything goes awry, anything happens that you don't know, COVID for instance, whatever mm -hmm. it might be, this is where you have that extra buffer on there. And it's like raising extra money when you're doing one of these projects, you won't have a problem with something pops up. And even if you're breaking even, or you're not going to make as much money, um, you're going to be able to finish the deal and get it done. So, so true. That's on. the best piece of advice you could possibly get right there. We're pushing our students, same different deal there. Like you got to be careful in this particular market. Only look for, I'm saying, I'm only looking for the home run deals. I'm not even looking for the doubles. I want them to be home runs. I want them to be nice meeting ones because I know if something goes wrong, you can lose 10 or 20% pretty quickly in a short period of time. Interest rates shoot up to 8%. That changes everything, right? With your value of your property. It's all about the affordability. So like you said, raising more money than you necessarily need to, just to be sure, always a great way. Because I see a lot of people don't raise enough. Then they have to come up with their own funds for their finished rehab app, or they have to sell or partner with another investor. And you don't want to run into that. 
Yeah. You can pick up, I'll, I'll look on sometimes on bigger pockets and it'll be like once a week, you'll see people asking um, about that. I'll see probably a lot more. They'll be asking about having to partner with someone or they are partnering someone That's on a deal that went. Um, one thing before I, we, we wrap up and we get information on, on you, Paul, um, contact info, you, you were wholesaling and investing, uh, you know, through 06, 07, 08, 09, all these different times. How, and I imagine some of that's coming back with how you're putting offers in. Are you, or because I've talked to wholesalers back yeah. then and they'd be like, I do 5% less, or they had this number, whatever they'd yes. be like, are you doing any of that? Did you do any of that? And are you doing yes. any of that now? Absolutely. So, you know, people were running it up to 75% of ARV and in different markets in Phoenix, people are going to 80%. And I saw some people doing 85 and I always thought that was crazy. The highest I was ever going to is 75. We have since scaled it back to our traditional 65% of after repair value, yeah. minus repairs, do that. That assures you got some meat on the bone there. You're going to be in pretty good shape. It's really going to protect you. Yeah, you're going to miss out on some deals. I know it, it hurts. Run away from them. You do not want to get yourself caught. This is a weird market we're in. I don't know which way it's going. I think because inventory is so low, that will be pretty stable in pricing. And interest rates, as long as they stay stable, will be fine. But if interest rates shot up, we had some kind of weird event go, world war ramps up, who knows, goofy uh, things that we can't account for. That's where you want to protect yourself with. And you're just going to be always safe and better off. And especially if it's your first deal, you want to make sure you got a nice meaty deal because that's going to give you an incentive to want to do more and more. That's a lot of great information, Paul. So how can our listeners learn more about you, your courses, and your business? So if they want to follow us just on YouTube, you can go look for The Virtual Investor on YouTube. And we have links in there. Also have the Flipping Out podcast on that channel as well. And then reoauctionacademy.com. They can uh, they can sign up for our, our course. We have a couple different courses. We have one that's a do-it-yourself course for like $4.97. If they just want to jump on monthly coaching calls, there's a $97 a month option on fliprealestatevirtually.com. And if they want the full-scale coaching where they really learn a lot and we connect them with private lenders, we connect them with insurance companies nationwide to do stuff, that, that is a $5,500 program right now. Okay. Well, thank you so much for all that information, Paul. And just let people know if your your main goal is not to wholesale properties or to flip them, you can utilize a lot of strategies that we've spoken about today and what Paul uh, specializes in about buying properties at discount, renting them out yourself, and um, you know possibly all different size properties. So thank you so much for coming on today, Paul, and looking forward to connecting with you in the near future. Thank you, Charles. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.